you're good. Look, fuck. No. Good. I'm asking you if you can. Good. Good? What do you mean, good? What kind of question is that? I'm asking... I'm saying, are you, you know, like a, a good person? Hey, I'm eating lunch. So? So why do you invite me here? Ask me if I'm good or not? I just... Uh, Good. This girl tried to dump me once. <clears throat> so I got my hands on some hospital stationery, and I sent her this letter informing her that she had appeared on a list of previous partners of a patient of mine who had just tested HIV positive. You did not do that. Oh, yeah. Come on. So you decide. The bitch deserved it. She never understood me. And it was a good joke. But am I good for doing it? Fuck if I know. All I do know is I did it. And I find a certain clarity in the gesture. Don't you think we're gonna have to, you know, like, pay for all this in the end? Possibly. I mean, if there ends up being a god or something like that uh, whole eternity thing out there, then yeah, probably so. I don't know. We'll see. But until then, we're on my time. Okay? The interim is mine. Cinema 9 Podcast. My name is Michael Govier. We are here live for episode number 35. Eric Bransham, we made it 35 episodes. I'm thrilled to announce that Eric Bransham is here and Travis Roy is also here. And yes, prior to going on the air, we were having a discussion about our audio issues. You know, what do you guys think? Do you guys have any positive or uh, constructive feedback on our audio? Let us know. Cinema 9 Pod at ProtonMail.com or follow us on any of the social media platforms and share your wisdom with us. We're here to learn and get better. We do not fear positive, constructive criticism. Travis Roy, when was the last time you got some quality, constructive criticism in your own life? 
like in my like in my life or in my work because you know very different things right but but uh in my life you know i live in with my father and, and i gotta say living with your father is a good way to get a healthy daily dose of of advice um sometimes asked for sometimes not but always you know helpful when you get down to it wow that is a different aspect of your living situation i had not considered see <laughs> That's why we ask the tough questions here on the 79 Pod. Eric Branchum, you're in Griffith, Indiana, and the winter is upon us nearly. How are you guys holding up down there? You know, we're doing good. But uh, personally, I can't handle criticism of any kind. In fact, if someone, I could, if I can sense someone about to deliver it, my body will go into self-protect mode, and I won't even hear it. So I guess that's a pretty good defense mechanism. That is intense, man. Yeah. So at least you're wow. protecting yourself. But will you improve in the long run? That's, you know, I try to listen to other people's feedback. Uh, the older I get, the more I'm down with the, the criticism. You know, hook me up. Tell me what's going on. Give me your bottom lines. I'm getting too over this shit, Riggs. So I agreed, understand. man. Agreed. Like, I, I used to have a really hard time taking criticism of any kind. And then uh, when I went to grad school and, like, it's like I used to never want to show anyone anything I wrote like when I thought it was like polished and finished, you know, and then like now I'm like showing them shit when it's like a half baked idea in the back of my head <laughs> and getting like, you know, hardcore like uh, inner input. And, and it's actually super helpful. That's what I'm me, talking about, me. man. For you. Yeah. But not everybody is uh, as open to criticism as others. And Eric, we respect you. And that's why on the Cinema Nine Pod, we bring three different unique voices to the table. I have my ways, Travis has his ways, and Eric has his own. And that's what brings Does It Hold Up to such a fascinating boil every week. Will it hold up? Whose opinion counts? Well, they're all equal. That's the good news. But sometimes <laughs> you never know what someone's going to say about a movie. And today's movie is going to be something that will probably bring a lot of <laughs> controversy, I believe. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. It's Your Friends and Neighbors, 1998 yeah. film. It's basically a play, really. It's six people. Feel good comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? that's, that's the genre, right? Feel good movie of the year. Your friends and neighbors, the feel good comedy of 1998, same year that Happiness came out. Who should do a double feature with Happiness and your friends and neighbors? That sounds like a lot of fun, right, Eric? If by, if by feel good you mean that there's a lot of sex in it, you're goddamn right. It is a very hypersexual film, but uh, there's a lot, it has a lot to say about sex in ways that a lot of films from the 90s didn't, so we'll see what happens. That's right. So we're going to talk to your friends and neighbors, and we'll find out, does it hold up? We've started to dedicate a little more time to the movies on our show so that we can really flesh it out and get all of our opinions out, so we will do that shortly. But first, as always, we must do our quarantine viewing picks. What have you been watching? What do you have to offer? Is it something worthwhile? Can I find it on Netflix? All these things matter. Travis Roy, you always have such a just a decadent list of fascinating choices. What do you got this week? Oh, well, I watched some movies. I, I watched Sid and Judy at your suggestion. Oh. Um, which, uh, you know, a uh, pretty heartbreaking look at uh, the tragedy uh, of Judy Garland's life. You know, I don't, no spoilers, but that moment when um, – She's uh, talking to that guy, and it's like on screen, you know, it's on TV, and she's talking to the guy that like named her in vaudeville. Like, you know, her mother was like, oh, just call her whatever you want, it doesn't matter. And he's like, uh, Judy Garland. And she's like, yep, yeah, she, here I am, a 40 year old woman, and this is my life. And she's like, <laughs> and it's like, fuck. Um, yeah. um, so that was, uh, that was intense, but good. Um, Great access. I, uh, That's why I liked it, because it the access, the notes, and like all the 
the back and forth, you get like a real private. That's what to me makes a uh, documentary good like that because it's providing something that you wouldn't normally get to see. Yeah, yeah, it felt very fleshed out. Um, I watched uh, my first Christmas movie of the season, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Um, followed it up with Christmas Chronicles 2, which I wasn't as enthusiastic about as Eric, but I do like this. Uh, oh, what's his name? I already forgot this kid's name. Uh, <laughs> Jillian. I can't think of his name. This kid, he plays like this disgruntled teenager in every movie. Rebel Wilson? No, 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 no. Uh, um, the kid. In, yeah. No, the kid, the kid looks and acts exactly like Rebel Wilson, the bell snickel. Yeah, um, I'm already forgetting his name. I, I actually like him. I think I think he's doing pretty decent work. I'm I'm a little worried about him being typecast, but um, I, you know, I thought he, I thought he was okay. Um, I watched Spectre from 2015, which officially is the least good Bond film, I think, or at least the least good Craig Daniel Craig Bond film. Which, whew, shave 45 minutes off that thing, you got yourself a movie. But like, fuck, it was like it just kept going. Um, I watched a pretty decent new movie. Well, actually, it came out like in January, but Amazon Prime just picked it up and started playing it uh, or showing it. Um, if you like Paul Bettany, he stars in Alan Ball's newest uh, directorial writer-directorial movie um, called Uncle Frank. Uh, an interesting look at a, uh, I guess, a divergent lifestyle of the 1960s, I guess you could wait, say. Wait, 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 um, wait, wait, wait. I think we're getting a, a heavy breath. I think it sounds coming. awful. It's been distracting it's me the whole time. It sounds like the wind's blowing. Uh, I think, Eric, I think it's coming from you. I hate to, I know this is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, you're muted now. I don't hear it anymore. I've been hearing it the whole time. It's been very distracting. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just might be my actual breath. I'm like 245 now, fattest I've ever been in my life. Maybe this Holy is just shit. how I sound. Wow. Um, I don't know, man. Like we, we've done. The, this is our 35th episode. I've never heard like uh, what sounds like. Uh, it just sounds. I mean, like it's 245, 245. It's, it's loud. Um, okay. Just letting you anyway. know, uh, maybe you could adjust your mic piece from your nose or something. I don't know. It sounds like a I nose think, breath, but I yeah. was here to help. Just here to help you. Anyway, sorry, Travis. Picking on Eric today. Sorry, buddy. We just no! we just want we don't we mean to pick Eric. on you. We just we just want to be, you know, the, the best. Eric um, wants to get the best audio he can, too. He's. You just He's fixed a it. Perfectionist. Oh wait, no, it's you're muted. <laughs> um, all right, so Uncle Frank, uh, pretty decent film. If you, it's it's uh, he plays a a gay man, and Paul Bettany plays plays a gay man in like nineteen early nineteen seventies, late sixties. Um, kind of a family drama. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, and it's nice. It's like it's an hour and a half drama, and it really moves along in a pretty decent clip, when, as, as opposed to like the bloat that that I know Eric hates. <laughs> And I do too. And I do too. Um, the Don't movie look. I think, of, yeah, uh, I watched. You know, I watched Monsters University for the first time since theaters to check and make sure that I felt like meh about it. And I still feel pretty meh about it. No, that's just a shame. I love Pixar movies, but that one just doesn't really do it for me. So but I would say that the movie I would recommend the most uh, for this week is I watched um, Daniel Bay or John Boyega's uh, you know big breakthrough film Attack the Block from 2011. Um, what a fun, weird, wacky movie that says some social things and um, and also is just mostly fun. Um, so that's on Showtime right now, and it's a great like um, alien invasion movie. It's got, it's got its own real twist on things, I think. It's definitely worth checking out. Wow. I didn't even heard of it. Never heard of it. Next. 
that that would be uh, that would be my buddy Dennis says that Monster University rocks. I will say to you that uh, what's his name? Art, the, uh, the you know the guy that the bendy limbs guy that, that's voiced by um, Charlie Day, right? Oh, Charlie his Day. Name? Oh, that is his real name, right? I always get it mixed up. That with is his, his uh, real name, Charlie Day. Yeah. Okay. Or his professional um, stage name. Right. He he's great. He's great. There are, the movie the movie does have its moments. Don't get me wrong. By the way, last week, remember we talked about the new vacation? Uh, Charlie Day, great short little stint in that movie. A great scene with Charlie Day <laughs> on the uh, water, River Rapids. Fucking hilarious. So. Okay. Thank you, Travis. That sounds like some wonderful viewing material, folks. Travis Roy always brings his A game, never fails. One thing Travis knows, it's film. If Travis died tomorrow, I would tell people, you know what? That guy knows film. I would say that. New. You'd say I knew film. I'd be dead that in this guy, scenario. That guy knew film, yes. Okay, Eric Branstrom, I don't want you to die. I want you to live. But if this is your final show, let's hear it. Your finest quarantine viewing picks for the week of no, uh, December something. It's the first week of December. That's all I know. Not, uh, not going not to work here anymore anyway. <laughs> I watched Home Alone 1 and 2 back-to-back the other day. Uh, it's been a little while. And I never really realized it until this past viewing. Home Alone 2 is, is really weird because, like, he goes to New York and he acts like he's completely like blown away. And yet Kevin McAllister lives just out of, out of Chicago. So like, would he like really care that much about this big city? And he goes to stay at the Plaza hotel on his father's card, but like his house is better than the Plaza hotel. So I, I was a little confused about that, but I had some fun with it anyway. Uh, I took a look at, don't forget Trump. We're not going to talk about Trump. Come on. Yeah, talk Donald about President Trump. Trump, our President Donald J. Trump that appears he, in the yep. film. He directs his own request. Front desk, indeed, very and, much so. And his, and his own request: Let me be in your movie, and you can you can shoot in my plaza. And I Tim Curry, get away from fun, so. Tim Curry's a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah, I, I literally I was watching the news all about the you know Trump this Trump that. I fucking turn on Home Alone two, and there is the son of a bitch. But <laughs> I took a look at um. Ghosts of the Abyss. This is like Jim Cameron's documentary about going back to Titanic and like checking out the remains at the bottom of the sea. Pretty soft documentary for Jim Cameron. I figured figured it would be very like uh, a lot better than I thought it was standard, like standard National Geographic special. Uh, he's got like Bill Paxton in there, like heading up like the the mission, like he knows what the fuck he's talking about. He's like, go three cubic feet right. Like just because like he's friends with Jim Cameron and was in the movie, he's like heading up this insane deep sea mission. They're three miles down. They could die in a split second from all the pressure. And you got like Bill Paxton, like telling you what to do. What the fuck? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love the great Bill Paxton. Rest in peace. Oh, man. Um, I can't believe he's dead. It's truly unbelievable. Uh, I also watched a an god awful documentary called Demon House. It's by this like dipshit from like Ghost Adventures. It's abominable, but it turns out like this haunted house that they are uh, documenting is like like five minutes away from my house. So uh, I'm thinking about going over there to check it out to see if I can't uh, get any evidence of my own. But this is a this is a <laughs> terrible documentary that I don't recommend anyone watch. Uh, and that's that. He completely exploits this like poor family that lived there and uh, were traumatized by these supposed events. Uh, but other than that, it's been a slow week. Couple episodes of uh, Ghost Hunters and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, that's about it. Uh, oh, I did watch In the Company of Men to prepare for this episode. Ooh. Because the only other Neil LeBute film I've ever seen is his remake of The Wicker Man. 
And uh, that's all I really knew about the guy. I heard the controversy. Uh, so I took a look at In the Company of Men. Um, I hated it. Uh, I passionately <laughs> despised it. Um, so I'm interested to talk about your friends and neighbors. Did I think the same thing? Did I think otherwise? Did he grow as a director that next year? Did he, uh, you know, devolve? We'll see. Interesting, yeah. Uh, the Wicker Man, though, I think a lot of people responded favorably to the remake, right? You know, I, I like it. Uh, huge Nick Cage fan that I am. Uh, I, I meant Just to like Steve watch Follow. this this week. You guys love Nick fan. Cage. <laughs> I, I do. I love Nick Cage. I, 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 I Did you see the recent photo of him that going viral, him just walking down the street with his son because he looks like I mean, he's got like a cane and like purple glasses on. He's a fucking character. <laughs> Anyways, um, I still haven't seen The Wicker Man. Uh, I love the original so much. I really have stayed away from it. I, it's just been like one of those ones I just didn't really think should have been remade. And like as much as I love Nick Cage, I just haven't. Not pull the trigger on it yet, but I, I will. I will. I just was hesitant. But real quick, while I have the floor, I, I have a meaning to say something. The last couple episodes, uh, when Chad, our friend Chad, was on, he recommended a movie, a uh, Korean movie called Mother, which I then watched and recommended also as being a great whodunit. And I want to let people know that Netflix has a Korean movie called Mother, but it's not the same one because I already have talked to at least one friend that watched that movie. and was like asking me questions about it. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That one's from 2020. Yeah. The mother that me and Chad are talking about is from like 2009. So uh, be aware that there's multiple Korean mothers out there. I mean, obviously there is, but I mean in the movie sense also. Why? Isn't there a Albert Brooks, Debbie Reynolds film of the same name? Yeah, too? mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- th- I believe there is a uh, a Darren Aronofsky film with the similar uh-huh. title. Have we ever discussed that on this podcast before? No, 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 no. <laughs> we wouldn't do that. I, I uh, would never do something like that. That sounds awful. But it is. I, well, I still have to check out that recommendation because Chad's recommendations are really just so stellar. They always are, and I owe myself an entire day to watch all three of his recommendations from when he was on the show. I got to do that, uh, and I'm going to do that at some point if I could just find some time. However, as soon as I reveal this list of movies I just watched, you'll probably be like, hey, Mike, you had plenty of time, it appears, so you're full of shit. But, okay, I admit that. That's fine. So, let's get to it. I watched Glass for the first time. Travis wanted me to save any thoughts on it for this show. We didn't even talk about it in our text thread. Here we go. Glass. Finally saw it. And... uh, (laughs) it, It wasn't... I saw the ratings of it on IMDb. It was it was lower. I thought that this would be like a huge fan favorite. I thought it'd be like in the upper sevens. We'd be like, finally, we got all three of these guys. Shyamalan is pulling this ultimate little own version of his MCU on people. <laughs> and it's like too much time with Sarah Paulson. Too much time with the doctor. She she does good. I like she does a great job. She her acting is outstanding. But then like this is spoiler fest too. So if you've never seen Glass, you might want to ignore this. The fact that uh it's revealed to be how it's revealed and like the way it goes down in the final showdown in the parking lot. How I it- I, I love it so much. And <laughs> I love this showdown so much. And I walked out of that movie theater going like I'm gonna be the only person I know who fucking loved that showdown. <laughs> really. That's pretty uh, prescient on your part. I because I really thought think it's cool that like um, it's a ballsy move all around, and I can understand why people would just be like, "This is ridiculous. I hate this." But I mean, remember, like, <laughs> I, you know, like his his weakness is well. I mean, again, I don't want to do spoilers, but I mean, his weakness is water, and like and like to have 
um, like it just completely overturns everything that you think it's going to happen. And the whole movie sets up like, hey, there's going to be a big and you're ready for it. There's going to be a big climax at the giant building that they've been talking about the whole time. There's going to be a big light show where it shoots into the sky like every other goddamn superhero movie. But it doesn't do that. It completely subverts your expectations and takes out a very important character in the most unexpected way. And I just think that's just like, yeah, he's just like, you know, what? I'm still going to do whatever the hell I want. You can, you can make fun of the happening all you want and every other movie I make, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a twist. And he did. Who would make fun of the happening? I've never heard of such crazy talk. Come on, man. Mike, are you terrified of mud puddles now after seeing the uh, <laughs> inciting finale? Oh my God. I'm so scared. <gasps> I will say, though, I was like riveted. I was like stuck to the screen for the whole film. So it certainly drew my attention. I, and I, I didn't even realize how much I'd been waiting to see this film till I finally engaged with it. I was like, God, why did I wait so long? I really wanted to see this, <laughs> which is weird that I didn't know that at the time. It's funny when you get into a film and you. You get emotions all of a sudden. I know you saw it right away, Travis. I remember yeah, that. I thought, yeah, opening day. And I was like, I was like. In the, in the town where they shot Unbreakable. <laughs> yeah. That's where I watched it. <laughs> as, as you should. That's the way it should have been. And I, I think I liked it. I, I don't hate it at all. I just, uh, I don't know. I thought maybe I'd get a little more. It was very suspenseful, very intense. I will say that. But, hey, we're not doing this movie for Does It Hold Up. Maybe in a couple of years we will. So, uh, Okay, so I watched Hacksaw Ridge with Mel Gibson directing and our friend. Uh, well, he's not our friend. Andrew Garfield. Is anyone friends with Andrew Garfield? Uh, he doesn't return my calls. Okay, well, maybe we're on the outs with Andrew Garfield, but Andrew Garfield, the, I think an Oscar-worthy performance, really quite well done. It's Oscar bait, too, in the way it, it is, but the true story is, like, fucking insane. In fact, I think the true story just trumps the movie, in a sense, and I told you guys this in the text thread. Nobody does war like Mel Gibson does, like violence and war, like he does in Apocalypto. Uh, he started to kind of get his feet wet with the Braveheart violence and gore, but now on this film... <laughs> He has mastered the absolute horror of war. And I salute him for doing that because I don't think war is not something that should be like, wow, yeah, we kill people. We won. It should be like, Jesus Christ. Like in this movie, the people are coming back from the first battle at Hacksaw. They're in tears and they're like, there's some guys like he can't even control himself. He's it's fucking intense. That's what PTSD does to people. So I think it's a great movie. I really do. I, I I missed it for some fucked up reason, and Mel Gibson is a masterclass director. Fucking loved Apocalypto. Did you did you see this picture, Travis? Yep. It it did come out the time where I still was a little upset at Mel Gibson, too upset to go back and look at uh, any efforts of his. I'm willing to go back now because that's just how fucking time works, and I can forget even horrible things that the fucking guy says. Thanks to uh, you know. Well, he was an alcoholic and he was sick too. I will say that. I'm not, it doesn't excuse his actions, but as someone in recovery myself, we do things we regret. Yeah. I mean, alcoholism doesn't make you racist, but um, <laughs> I, 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 regardless of that, I just haven't, uh, I just haven't uh, checked in on that one. I don't know. It, uh, uh, it just, I'll see uh, it someday. Someday. Okay. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. By the way, the guy's real name is Desmond Dawes. If you want to Google Desmond Dawes, a real human being, we should be commended. It's a beautiful story. Now, did I read uh, the tagline? Tagline, right? Like he like was went to war, like refused to like fire a weapon. Was he a medic yeah. or was he a soldier? He refused, to, he refused to even carry a gun, not just fire a weapon. A chaplain, he didn't do it, right? He's a Meta Knight. He's a chaplain. Yeah, he's right? a medic. He's a medic. So oh, he's, he's a out medic. there fixing people with no gun. 
yeah, that that's a real story. So that part is totally true. And by the way, Vince Vaughn is in this as a drill sergeant, which is fucking weird too. It's I've, Vince Vaughn as a drill sergeant is really hard to take seriously, but he does a good job. He does a good job. I'll give him credit. So hey, anywho, actor. he is. Uh, I watch Inside Lewin Davis, Coen Brothers film. Anybody ever catch this one with the Mr. I, Oscar Isaac himself? Fucking love it so much. <laughs> I was gonna say, hey Eric, have you seen this? I know you. I love, you it, love it. So yeah. much. Top ten of the 2010s list. Really? Are you fucking yeah, serious? No, no, I love I, it. I just, I, I like it. I, I never understood the acclaim. I mean, as far as a Coen Brothers movies, it's in the bottom half for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I good. Mean, I like yeah, I, no, I like Oscar Isaac a ton, but like it's just I don't know, it just didn't sink his teeth into me. But obviously, there's something there because the, many people felt like Eric. It checks all the boxes in terms of professionalism, well directed, well acted, well you know written, everything. But uh, the whole thing with the cat running around—I don't fucking care about this guy chasing the cat around. I will say this though: it does show you like the loser end, like the people who didn't make it. And I do commend the film for that. So. I don't know. It kind of grew on me as the week went on. I don't know. Interesting film. I'd recommend it. 2013. Uh, I've been watching the Reagan's documentary on Showtime, and it's been <laughs> fucking driving me nuts. It's been making me so angry. And why do I watch something that makes me so angry? Good question. I don't know why I do this to myself. Why? I don't know. I mean, these people are awful. I, or This is not a political show, but the, it's about Nancy and Ronald Reagan, and they're just terrible people it, uh, in every sense. Oh, God. I mean, so who heads up this is like is it a, is, is it a, a coming from a certain narrative skewed point of view I mean or is it just like hey here's what happened have at it It's interesting cuz they kind of try and so Ronnie Reagan Jr is in this and he's yeah. interviewed a lot and he's Does not like his father not, like respect his father like Yeah no he I mean, he yeah, talks about very... the fact that his he talks about a lot of things and arguments he has with his father right. as they became president and his racism, uh, which there's actual audio videotapes of Ronald Reagan's racism. Thanks to Ronald, uh, Mr. Richard Milhouse Nixon recording everything. So we have that as an actual fact. This guy was just I know the Reagan sucked, but I, I just it just reminds you of where we are now in our entire lifetime. All three of us, our entire existence has been ruined by the rise of his presidency and the things that happened before that economically, economically impacted you know, was, negatively. I'm going to, I'm going to argue strongly against ruin because I like my life, but I, I, I strongly negatively impacted economically and, and other ways culturally too. Yes. Um, yes especially yeah. people of color and, and the homosexual community. Um, yes. I can't even flesh myself. I can't even get my argument focused. Cause it just, I can't believe how much it bothered me. So I don't, I'm not here to, rant politically but boy it was a i think it's a great great documentary because it had such a strong impact on me and that's my opinion but you know why don't you find out for yourself hey art is politics right that's right that's there's some definitely some truth to that uh on uh it wasn't his recommendation but i watched the belusi doc on uh because eric kind of ripped it and i actually <laughs> thought it was uh better than eric thought it was I thought it was more. You didn't think it was like one of those like twenty four the no, last no, twenty four no, hours. No. That's, yeah. I thought there was a lot of insight, uh, a lot of access to things. Again, like the Sid and uh, Judy doc uh, notes that they wrote to each other. He wrote to his wife. Uh, inside access on tapes of things like that had that. never been revealed before. It was it was different. It wasn't. They didn't really focus on the death. They focused on everything, but they kind of left the death as like okay, that happened, which I thought was different than Wired. As you were talking about last week, right? Which was like, <laughs> yeah, Wired sounds more like the, it was more of the last twenty four hours. I mean, literally, was the last twenty four hours. 
Yeah, right, right. So, I don't know, Belushi, uh, check it out. I, I thought it was going to suck, but I enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, I watched the Richard Pryor documentary because uh, Eric recommended that. It's outstanding. Omit the logic. It's uh, fantastic. I watched Looper for the first time ever. Okay, what did you think? I fucking loved it. I, I love it's Looper. It's so good. It's so fucking ah, good. So much. One of the only movies I wish that there was like a sequel to or like, I, I it's so good. No, but go ahead. Take the floor. Sorry. No, you're right. This gets to my point that I was said I was going to save for the pod. I'm pretty confident that Ryan Johnson, you know, did The Last Jedi, was in the Star Wars world, was going to do his own trilogy, right, when things were looking good. I'm sure that he connected with John Favreau and the powers that be in Disney and was talking about his Looper experience. And they probably loved Looper. That's why they allowed him to do The Last Jedi. It's just so many parallels to me with The Mandalorian and Looper, with this child with tremendous powers. And then you got a baby Yoda with these tremendous powers. I know that Yoda is a Yoda. He's lived forever, but he's young and he doesn't know how to control it necessarily. I just saw a lot of parallels and I feel like it's just a, in a, in a little bit of a sense, it's almost just like a takeoff of that directly. I know it's not about time travel and shit. I'm just talking about that one aspect. And it was day to me. What's the, um, what's the samurai movie? What's it called? Like lion and cub or something like that. Uh, Wolf, Wolf and Cub. Cub. I knew you'd know. Like it's a classic film. I've never seen it, but I mean, like yeah, uh, right. it's. But it's a classic samurai movie that um, it, or, that Mandalorian gets, gets compared to a lot um, because that plot, frankly, you know, in Looper or in the Mandalorian, is pretty well played out in multiple. Oh, places. I agree with that. I uh, remember Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis, for instance. Miko Hughes. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, <laughs> like I mean, this off the top of my head, random movie, same plot. Huh. Oh, another good. Bruce Willis movie, but still. That's why I brought it up. Okay, interesting. All right, I don't know. I to me, it I think it's an interesting little piece of information. But hey, anyways, Looper was great. I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Those who know me, I'm a huge Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. fan. I should have oh, seen this. So I just, it's just one of those like glass. I, I just didn't get around to, and then eight years went by. It's so dumb. Glad I finally saw it. Uh, I also watched Preachy's Honor, Jack Nicholson, John Houston film. <laughs> I had never seen it either, Travis. And I'm gonna strongly, strongly recommend this film. I yeah, I like everyone uh, in it. I don't know why I haven't. Yeah, Jack Jack Nicholson playing the dumbest character of his career really well, and uh, Kathleen Turner at her, at her prime. You know, the height of her powers, and Angelica Houston's like she won an Oscar for her efforts. So. Plus, a lot of great bit guys, like because it's a mob movie. There's a ton of great bit guys, older dudes, uh, like a lot of them, a couple of them from Christmas Vacation. The old <laughs> Clark's father, that guy, I can't remember his fucking name. And then uh, the old guy whose hair catches on fire on Christmas Vacation. They're both in this. And I'd never seen them so like professional and real. It was a different take for me. So I recommend it strongly. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, I watched The Net. I watched The Net. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been thinking about that movie since we yeah. talked about Sandy Bullock last week. Yeah, that's what it, it. Uh, inspired me. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, what the, what else was that? And I remember the net with Dennis Miller, and it's a stupid ass movie. But... <laughs> it was when the internet was like a scary new thing. So I mean, yes, yeah. Oh god, it's great. It it's so like a. You know, the Internet is this place that we just don't understand. But Sandra Bullock understands it all. And she's the keys to the castle. It's it's so stupid. It's so 90s, though. God, it's so 90s. It's fucking great if you like 90s shit. But otherwise, don't bother. Uh, oh, and then the last one, because we wa I watched Killer Joe and Eric also ripped on it. I watched August Osage County. Oh, I, <laughs> what do you think? Me, I fucking loved it. I, I loved officially it, too. Yeah, I'm I didn't rip, rip on it. Candy. I was just laughed at how just like funny it is to say, like in general, like oh, how, how strange it is. No, yeah. I, I enjoy it. 
Oh, okay. It's I thought you didn't sad. like Meryl Streep is fucking insane in it, dude. Oh. She's so yes. goddamn funny. And and one of the one of the best performances. Yeah, it's one of the, and one of the best Julia Roberts performances too. I think she's fantastic in it. Yeah, she matches. They go head to head, and they're both equal to the task. You're right. You're right about yeah. that. But Meryl Streep, I, sometimes I think is overrated. But in this movie, she was not. She was oh, so no. damn good. Um, it's fucking sad. You're right. It's sad. But I'm like a Tracy Letts fan now. I want more screenplays from Tracy Letts. I love them all. The uh, complete the uh, trilogy with Bug. Oh, Uh, yeah. You got to see Bug. All right. I'm I'm probably I'm probably not going to watch Hillbilly Elegy, but uh, I am thinking that probably people that are interested in Hillbilly Elegy would probably get more out of August Osage County. Oh, that's my that's that's interesting. All right. Good point. All right, Bug, I'll check that out. But yeah, August Oceans County, killer cast, too. They just keep showing up. You're like, oh, Chris Cooper. Uh, better than Cumberbatch, what? It's like, whoa, it just keeps coming at you. Yeah. So check that out. All right, so that's our quarantine view picks for this week. Cinema 9 Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Cinema 9 Podcast on all of your treasured, treasured social media platforms. And, of course, you can follow the show, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, as always, uh, you know, if you feel like it. No big deal. Yeah. Duke Lion. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. It's time. Does it hold up? It's our signature segment that people wait all week for. I mean, people are just dying for this every week, and it's here. <laughs> Lots of people 19- are talking about it. Yes. Yeah, they are. 1998's Your Friends and Neighbors, directed by, as Eric said earlier, Neil LeBoot. Neil LeBoot, uh, Neil LeButt, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is a film that stars six people mainly. It's basically a cast of six people. You and I are in no. harmony. Here. Yeah. Is there any chance you're going to shut the fuck up? What? You're talking right in my ear. I'm losing any sense of concentration that I might have. Well, I'm just, it's kind of hard to stop in the... Well, keep it to yourself. I mean, can you feel it? Your thing is nearly in the back of my throat. You think I'm going to miss that? Let's just do it, okay? I don't need the narration. Let's go. Jeez, what is this? I'm sorry, but this is not a travelogue, you know? Jesus Christ. This is so fucking... God. It's how I feel. Great, great. Why do we always have to go through this shit? I've always been that way. Yeah, I know, and it's so fucking enjoyable for me, you know? I mean, I so much just start to breathe and you, you stop. What is that? It's me. Yeah, well, it's fucked. Okay, you wanna watch TV? No, I don't wanna watch, what? Why is it that your cunt is like, and I don't like to use that word, but God damn it, it's like your vagina is seemingly tied directly to my mouth. Why is that, huh? It's like I, someone just crack open my lips for a breath and you're squeezing me off. What is that, huh? It's like our two organs are on some fucking pull cord here and, I, and I'm, 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 you know what, I'm sick of it. I'll talk as much as I like. Good, I hope she enjoys it because you won't be fucking me. Oh, fine, that's beautiful, it's lovely. Can I have my keys, please? Hey. Where are you going? I don't know, out. I feel like talking. I just want to chat, okay? Come on. Give me the... Look, we can talk. I just don't want something up my ass while we're doing it. Go fuck yourself. Don't give me any ideas. Mary, Barry, 
Sherry, Carrie, Terry, and Jerry. Right? Is that real? That's that's, li- that's literally the names of the characters, and they don't say we do in the they don't say the characters' names once during the movie. It's always just oh, did you talk to? Oh yeah, yeah, I was talking to him. It's just like oh, I was thinking about him too. It's just like they just cut each other off all the time whenever they're going to say someone's name. Oh, I never caught that part of it. Fuck you even notice wow. that? No, it's, yeah, no, not once is a name said out loud. So, bearing that in mind, I probably will be, re- and we probably all will be referring to these characters by the actors' names. So when I say that Ben Stiller is a bag of fucks, I don't actually think that Ben Stiller is a bag of fucks. <laughs> but Jerry, the character that he plays in this movie, is absolutely one big greasy bag of fucks. And when I say I hope Jason Patrick dies a horrible death one day, I don't mean respected, classically trained actor Jason Patrick. I mean <laughs> Carrie. Carrie, right. That's a good qualification for this uh, episode. Very good. Good call. All right, so let's dive into it. This is a 1998 film that came out in 1998. Uh, we graduated high school, for those of you that don't know, in 1998, all three of us. So we're on the same track in life. Uh, maybe not Barely. for all things. Yeah, maybe not for all <laughs> things. I mean, Eric. Eric's a homeowner. Me and Travis still yet to experience that, just in case you wanted to know anything personal about us. Uh, but we will get there someday. I know. I know we will. Uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to rent a house. I don't know if I want to own one or not. Dude, $300 bummer bill the other day. You don't want to be there. It's leaking right now. <laughs> All right. So anyways, yeah. So we were both in the same world. 1998. Travis, did you... Uh, did you catch this movie back then, or did this Absolutely. come upon you? Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was a big fan of In the Company of Men when it came out. Um, so I, I was eager for the follow-up. And um, and it was and it's the next year after. I mean, In the Company of Men was 97. Then, you know, he was he turned right around, and Aaron Eckhart gained a bunch of weight and, like, grew a mustache and uh, made himself look about five, six years older than he really is. He's 30 years old, the youngest cast member of the, of the movie in this, but he looks squishy and old um, mind-blowing yeah it's, it's a hell of a performance and i was really um con- like i was really like thrown by that at the time i was like disappointed because he plays such like a like it, like obviously like if 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 he was to be typecast he would have played um jason patrick's character if it was more of a continuation of the same kind of guy that he played in in the company of men but instead he plays the like the polar opposite or just, or just about uh and shows you know his acting chops which now i have a lot more appreciation for at the time when he hadn't done nearly as much work i was like i want to see the guy do the thing that i like um but um (laughs) but other than that like i you know i liked it and i watched it once or twice and i found it memorable but i hadn't seen it since you know the 90s Hmm. okay eric branstrom i I just don't feel like you caught this movie back in 98 or even like a year or two was this your first viewing ever um in the first timers club for the first time on the podcast i believe this is the first time i've watched a film for the it's it's Wait, inauguration, for the holidays? i believe you, yeah you, you, oh you did yeah, no, 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 no you're right you're right yeah, yeah. 25 uh, no, years i, I never suggested it remember that part <laughs> <laughs> okay. coming back to you now it is it definitely is so no no uh this was uh this was a new one for me so you know if i saw it in 98 would i think differently Maybe, maybe not. I compare it a bit to something like Hurley Burley. It kind of reminds me of quite a bit, David Rube film. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was so-so on back then. So that's another one that I'd, I'd be interested to see again. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. This was a strange watch for me. So I'm going to let you guys take the floor for a while, and then I'll, I'll jump in because I'm, 
I'm all over the place on this one, man. I got a lot to say, but I, <laughs> I, I don't know where to jump in. I'm telling you, I'm just hey, being hey, honest. Hey, Mike, did uh, did we ever watch Hurley Burley back in the day? Did we have strong feelings about that movie? Hey. <laughs> it was just like over and over and over and over. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, in fact, that's clearly on my list too. Yeah, I definitely oh, want to yeah. dive it's in on that too. one. Although Kevin Spacey's in it, so uh, yeah, just yeah, whatever. He's in a bunch of movies. What are you gonna do? He is. Fuck. All right. So yes, 1998. Uh, I saw this film basically within a year of when it come it came out and i loved it uh, it was like just so right up my alley i remember loving it a lot and like watching it repeatedly and being a big big fan of it but i had never seen in the company of men so i had missed that one i just seen this one maybe it caught my eye because though not all of the people at the time were stars that are in this movie there's certain enough of them ben stiller is very well known at this point and that was right about when he was really starting to pop, and that was like one of the first dramatic turns that he did. So, really, maybe yeah. maybe even the first dramatic turn that he did. Yeah. It was early. Yeah, um, permanent so that, midnight. So that, that I was, think that, that same was, year. That, that, so. Yeah, that, yeah. It was, well, it was around. Bites, the, yeah, so it was. So that is, you know, it's kind of a. Yeah, but it's but I mean, but it wasn't like, and that wasn't his movie in the same way that Permanent Midnight or or and well, this is what an ensemble, but still, it's just yeah. You know, um, no, I, I would agree. Yeah, with and Jason yeah. Patrick would have Jason Patrick would have been known, and Amy Brenneman a little bit, but Catherine Keener was pretty not not known. Aaron Eckhart had really only done the one movie that he was, you know, known for, and yep. um, and uh, Natasha Kinski, of course, had popped up here and there for years. She of had, course. she Beautiful certainly woman. had. Yes, yeah, a fine actress. So, uh, did we say Jason Patrick? Because he was pretty well known too. I'm afraid I said there. Speed two. Who could forget <laughs> on a boat? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what a nightmare. Okay, so the IMDb score on this one. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to. Hmm. This is tough. Anybody abstaining? Does anyone know? Uh, I'm gonna guess it's like six point Hmm. Eric Brancher. 6.5. 6. 6.5, 6.0. Those both sound pretty good. I think it's in the sixes. Uh, yeah. Let's, all right, great. Yeah, I'll go with one of the. I'll go with 6.2. Okay, uh, and? 6.3. 6.3, right in the middle of it. Okay, great. So, yes, it's uh, not rated by many people. 7,000 ratings on IMDb is pretty low compared to every other movie we've had in the six digits. So just for a frame of reference. Well, this this might be one of the more, it may be the most obscure movie that we've done on the podcast. Has to be. Huh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I it was such a big favorite of mine when I was younger. I didn't think, I, I did think about it when I picked it. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, it is. It's the most obscure. Uh, I was wondering if people were going to have a hard time finding it too. So I didn't know if. It's on the Peacock channel. Hey! All right, great, good. On uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, 77% from critics, a rock-solid critic score, not in the Hall of Fame, but a rock-solid critic score. Audience, though, 64%. A little more befuddled by this uh, <laughs> film, maybe. Uh, maybe they the just word, don't... The word misanthropic is thrown around a lot about this movie <laughs> and about the generally. Not a, not a big selling point, I think, for anybody or anything. I didn't love a good misanthrope. It's an American standard, isn't it? No? Oh, yeah, I was just kidding. Uh, okay, so let's talk critical reviews of this film back in the day. Definitely. When it came out, people said things. They yeah, said yeah. words. They said Roger Ebert said did. when this movie came out, La Boots. 
Labutes. Labutes, your friends and neighbors, is to in the company of men as Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction was to Reservoir Dogs. Four out wow. of four stars. Wow, he f- really, really liked it. That's... He doesn't give us any reasoning in his brief description there, but he clearly, yeah, he loves well, it. I, well, to, me, th- to me, that suggests like a talented filmmaker with a limited budget was able to take a bigger budget and a bigger cast and and mm. and, and 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 you know spin that into gold. Good call. Yeah, you're right. That makes total sense. I hadn't thought about it because like in the that... in the company of men was done for twenty grand and on his own time, like a in like while he was at work, like <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like the most independent movie you can imagine. Oh fuck me. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. Uh, how about this one from Mike Clark of USA Today? <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Exclamation point. So he liked it or I don't know. It's vague. He, gave it, he says stay away with the exclamation point, but he gave it two out of four scores. Stars. What the hell is that? Yeah. I mean, isn't that a blatant one? What the fuck, dude? Get your shit together. What would what uh, Carrie say about that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the Christian Science Monitor. Yeah. David Sterrett of the Christian Science Monitor said the mood is often more coarse, crude and nasty than needed to to make cautionary <laughs> points and also by that distancing effect, which diminishes whatever feelings of empathy or sympathy the story might otherwise inspire in its audience. I don't know. But everyone's so likable. What's he talking about? <laughs> uh, and then finally, no Dustin Thompson again. We've been absent the last couple of weeks on Dustin. but you, Dustin, uh, oh, wherever you are. We love you, Dustin! With the official Dustin Thompson fan club podcast, Peter <laughs> Travers of Rolling Stone said, with Labute, you get a filmmaker who cuts to the timeless heart of sexual warfare. Yeah, okay. That's to right. the heart. That's yeah. Sure, yeah. it's true. So uh, warfare is not a term I always, or I'm, you know, not something I hear with sex very often, but hey, maybe we should be talking about <laughs> sexual warfare. What the hell do I know? Anyways, so let's dive into the film a little bit more. Uh, where do we go here? I mean, we got six characters, most Pretty equal screen time for the most part, right? Maybe there's a little more uh, of somebody. I, I, I would, yeah, I mean, it's a little. He- I mean, I'd say it's heaviest on Stiller and uh, Brenneman, and lightest on Keener and Kinski, probably. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Right? Well, with right. with, Eck- with Eckhart and, and Daniel Craig or Daniel Craig, um, what the fuck that guy's <laughs> name is? Jason Patrick's uh, being kind of in the middle. That's my guess. So. This is a film about sex and relationships, and uh, supposedly all these people are okay. So Aaron Eckhart, because we don't the character names are so dumb. Like Travis said, we're doing actor names. Eckhart and Brenneman are together. They're a couple, right? And they're having some issues where they don't kind of connect as like they hoped. And then Ben Stiller and Catherine Keener are together, and Ben Stiller talks too much. Catherine Keener wants total silence in the bed. No, 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 no. no. Ben Stiller does not talk too much in this movie. Every single man talks too much in this movie that's that's really what the movie's about it's men to talk men talk too much and as a man i can confirm wow really uh i hadn't thought of it like that interesting oh, like sex or just they, all day throughout the whole movie and half the time when a woman's talking like like she's saying like please stop talking to the man and the other half the time like when she when like like i honestly feel that amy brenneman does the strongest work by a country mile in this movie i think she does really really good work but mostly because it's she's just reacting to most things she's just like 
Like she's being talked to and you can just like see her like excitement about something and her face crumples and then you can see her like kind of contemplate something and then like kind of deal with some guilt and then move on past it while she's hiding it. There's all kinds of like reactive stuff going on that's really good, but like men are doing most of the talking and not to their not to their own benefit. Do you think that that's the way it is because Labute knows how to write the men, but not to write how to write the women, so he doesn't give them much to say? Or is it is a is it because of the characters in general and what they are trying to do in the story no i think i think that that, i think that's part of what he's trying to say is that men talk themselves to death they talk situations to death they overanalyze things to death and 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 it's not like men are alone in this necessarily like part of the problem like you know like with Catherine keener in particular she wants silence right and then she finally gets with natasha kinski and she learns oh she needs sexual validation and like you know emotional intimacy also how annoying um but but still like generally speaking like it's the men that can't just like stop when the moment is good enough and they just have to like keep on like unpacking things and like like rationalizing things and it's just like it's just in particular ben stiller in particular particular, ben stiller yeah in particular ben stiller absolutely but all three of them well, yeah, cause, but Patrick's like, yeah, he kind of goes on a bit like when you don't know who's in the bathroom and that later scene in the movie, he keeps talking and coming back to her and he's he just keeps going and going and going. You're right. He can't just let it go because yeah. she and when he fucked up his sheets, you know, he's screaming and going ape shit about the fact that a uh, 10 foot high bed. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is a class A doctor. He's a classic medical prick like an elitist, arrogant asshole to the max. But he says these things sometimes that are so matter-of-factly true about humanity. It's weird. It's a weird character. He's probably my most interesting character of any of the six is Jason Patrick for me in this film because he he possesses so much rage and craziness and, like, absurdity where he doesn't give a fuck about what anyone thinks, but but he also can, like, bring me back to a grounded point because he says things like when he confronts Catherine Keener in the bookstore, and cruel and intense but but there is some truth to what's going on there i'm not taking sides i'm just like wow well that's interesting what (laughs) truth that one that one of this guy's best friends barely knows his wife will blatantly hit on her in front of you know like ask her out and Mm -hmm. then uh call her the c word for i don't know i I don't know i don't know what kind of truth you're talking about there necessarily but she's cold she's cold he's he says she's a cold woman and yeah but he's not asking her out for a coffee because he wants to get to know his friend's wife better she knows why he's asking conquest yeah right right yeah one of my favorite lines in the movie is from patrick he says like i can't remember if somebody questions him on his callous behavior or not, but he says if there ends up being a God or that whole eternity thing, we'll see. But until then, we're on my time. It's like, yeah, what that... kind of fucking guy says something <laughs> like that with such a pronouncement? It's like, says everything about the character. He'll do anything yeah. animal. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty a great line and a pretty pretty great moment. Uh, I, I I personally find the most uh, interesting characters to be Amy Brenneman's and and Aaron Eckhart's characters myself. Uh, Amy Brenneman's because you know it's interesting to watch her and her struggle to figure out what it is that she wants. She just has this emptiness. Yeah, I just want to be helped. No, no, you don't because. Like you're given every option and like you don't want whatever it is in front of you. You're just unhappy. And then Aaron Eckhart interests me because like out of all of these characters, he is the one that's like he's the most oblivious and he's probably the best of them. And and also like um, 
I don't know. Like it's 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 interesting watching like the the one guy who doesn't have like everybody else has like this whole angle, right? And they're like and they're like and and then there's this, this one dude just kind of bumbling along that's just kind of like clearly <laughs> outmatched by everybody else in the movie, you know? And uh, and he's just like this this and so like it's actually I find him really interesting because like it's it's kind of tragic that it ends with him unable to get himself off. Um, oh. Like it's like it's and like is it me? Yes, it's you. They all ask, is it me? Yes, it's it's all of you. But um, it's like I find his character arc like kind of kind of tragic. Well, he's well, he's like the only one that makes himself emotionally available for other people. Uh, but the the filmmaker makes him the putz, the overweight salmon shirt wearing loser who can't comb his hair or get it up, which is why I felt particularly bad for the fucking guy. He gets it uh, up. But, it's, yeah. it's he loves being off to himself. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he, maybe he's not that great. He just loves himself the most. And he's like, you know what? I love myself. That's good enough for me. But, you know, through the whole thing, like, he's like, I've read the books that you wanted me to read. And, like, he's trying over and over again, even though he's actually, like, kind of okay without sex in a way because he's happy with himself. But, like, he's still trying because, like, he knows it's important. And he's trying. He's like he's like genuinely trying. Who else in the movie is trying with their partner? Literally, no one. Hmm. Yeah, I, Brenneman's kind of annoying. She. That's why she does such a great job in this. She's just exhausting watching her go through all these people and can't. <laughs> you're right. You everything you said was completely accurate, but it is exhausting at certain points. And mm-hmm. the fact that she ends up with Jason Patrick at the very end, he wants. He's like, I want a kid. I'm gonna grab that ass. <laughs> and like now this is what she's left with due to her terrible indecision she is now left with the worst of all of them and it's amazing because so much is made this is this is i didn't i never got this in the previous viewings that i had until this one but so much is made of how much she hates the word fuck right she hates yes! it over and over again uh, she yeah, yeah, hates yeah. this word right and then the movie starts with like this whole like Jason Patrick, like learning this speech on, on like how to convince a woman during sex that he is emotional and passionate about their lovemaking. And it ends with like, you are a really special fuck. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and we don't get that moment in the movie between him and Amy Brenneman, but we know that it's coming one. And we know, and at the end he says like, but we're going to fuck later. Right. And like, instead of her being like, I don't like that word. She's like, yeah. yeah we're gonna fuck. <laughs> she's fine. Yeah. She's just, given up who knows where she goes from there and maybe she marries them and it's just an awful I doubt it. for her <laughs> I, I mean it, it'll be terrible whatever happens with her will probably be terrible and nothing will ever fit i think that much is clear about her character but the ben stiller character this guy who's this shakespearean actor this high Ugh. class high flutin' douchebag who works at this university he teaches and he's hitting on every one of his <sighs> students and probably fucked a bunch of them which is alluded to and, that ass yeah. smack right at the beginning i'm just like jesus man uh, no, it, ghost in jacket, my motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. With those glasses. He's a uh, looks he's remarkably annoying. similar to Neil LeBute if you've seen pictures of the man. <laughs> he doesn't get it either. Yeah, he doesn't true. get it. Ben Stiller is, he, when he's with Amy Brenneman and things don't start to work out, he just doesn't get it. It, it seems to make more sense to him that he doesn't get Catherine Keener, but with but with Brennan, he keeps pushing like, well, what about wait, and she's like, no, 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 you're awful, you're awful, you're awful. Right. It just keeps going and going, and Stiller it just presses and presses and presses. It's awful. I mean, he might actually be the worst now that I'm starting to think about it. And and like just zero accountability because like he like he literally sits down next to this woman on her couch while her husband's in the next room with his wife and says, "Hey, I want to fuck you, basically." Yes. And and then like once it all you know comes down apart, you're like, "Oh, I feel so bad. I feel really, 
I feel really bad, you know, when, when they when Aaron Eckhart finally confronts him. Not that he will return the calls himself and be a man about it, but like that. He, but he, um, you know, forces Eckhart to chase him down and, and ask him about it. About him, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. And then he's like, oh, and then he says, I never should have let it. You know, I never should have let that happen. I never should have let it get to that or whatever. Just like, no, dude, you made this happen. So that whole exchange to me prompts the question. Who's worse? Is is he worse than Patrick because he genuinely or maybe not so genuinely feels bad and says sorry? Or is Patrick worse? I mean, I have a I have a, a, an, an opinion, but I'm curious what you guys think. Hmm, that's tough. Uh, I kind of think that Stiller is worse because he tries to be something else at times and he covers his his mask. He masses himself up at times of try to appear as something else. Hey, I'm a functioning active member with this Catherine Keener relationship. I don't think they're married, right? I think they are together, but they're not yeah. married. Like yeah, whatever. But they like live that. together and he's trying to do this thing, but it's not real. It's not real. And he think even if he thinks it's real, it's bullshit. Jason Patrick is who he is. I, I think he's actually a little more honest in what he does. Even if you don't like it, it's just it's like, oh God, it's kind of like tough to watch at times what Patrick says and where he goes with things. And he is a cruel man and he wants what he wants, as Eric said, he's on his time. So I think that actually makes Patrick a little more of a, a little more tolerable uh, than the Stiller character. I mean, you've seen the the film. I think a better uh, um, question is 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 Jason Patrick worse than fucking Ted Bundy? I mean, he brutalizes a kid and then <laughs> lives the rest of his life trying to chase the dragon when it comes to the gang rape. Whereas okay, Ben Stiller's character, work. he does he does sit there. <laughs> this is and the right answer, try- Mike. <laughs> I mean, Ben Stiller's character does sit there with Amy Brenneman and tries to see if she's receptive by this possibility, which, let's face it, happens in the real world. And that's what Neil Labute is trying to point a camera at. And for Amy, Amy Brenneman to say, you know, you know, fuck you, I, I'm not going to uh, be unfaithful to my husband uh, and, and instead take him up on this. I I can't say it makes them both like bad characters. It doesn't make her worse than Ben Stiller or for me, just because she's more receptive than being unfaithful. So, but he also sends him to the same hotel that Herman Stiller and Brenneman were at so, after the fact, despite her. So spiteful, so petty. Um, yeah. yeah, Ben Stiller's character absolutely sucks. But but as Eric says, like Jason Patrick is a rapist, and he's not just a rapist. Like the way he tells that story, do you really think that that man is the only person that that character ever raped? No way. Like that man, like Jason Patrick, not only loved raping this young boy when he was a kid, he turned it in his brain into a beautiful experience and convinced himself that it's 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 the only thing more disturbing and shocking than what he's saying about raping someone is that he twists it into that he believes that it's that the that his victim loved it. Um, it's the most. It's one of the most horrifying speeches I think I've ever seen. And film. he sells the shit out of it. He's so fucking good in the movie. Yeah, it's, oh, it's despicable as he is. Incredible. I mean, I I fucking hate him, and I I don't believe in karma personally. To. But if anyone deserves it, it's this motherfucking prick. But there's no comeuppance, and I think that's intentional for many different reasons. Oh, yeah. But Jesus Christ, what a role! I think he got nominated for like the Saturn and some of the independent stuff. But how do you how do you act that? How do you take the, how do you read the script and not say this is going to fucking damage my career play some <laughs> rape loving asshole? <laughs> well, he brutal. yeah, he didn't Younger. just do it with reluctancy. You're right. He went all in. Uh, this is the Cinema Night podcast. We're talking about Your Friends and Neighbors, a 1998 film by Neil LeBute and it has six different characters in it. It's basically a stage play. Sexy hexy. Uh, in a film in a sense. And 
sexy yes the sexy hexy uh yes. you, it's it's a rape yes he rapes a kid who's in yeah. high school with with multiple other people and he says it's a passionate fuck which is um not to... true disturbing uh very what? much so michael it, i mean yeah, I, got... I don't know where you're going with this bub <laughs> well i didn't finish i'm just saying it's hard to it's uh, hard it, to it, know it, it's, it's awful <laughs> let him finish it's hard to know like because the follow-up is ben stiller being pushed into give his opinion on what was the best lay of his life and then he ends up saying Eckhart's wife amy brennan and he storms out the door and then jason patrick goes well that beats my story and that no it doesn't that's what I'm saying. That really tells you everything about Jason Patrick's character. Not Jason Patrick, the actor. Jason Patrick. <laughs> right. Fucking Perry. terrifyingly awful. Yes, you're right. The rationalization. And then, the you know, I hadn't actually thought about, hey, how many more people has this guy raped? I hadn't thought about it. I really hadn't. Um, Do you think he's telling the truth? That's oh, what yeah. I wonder, though. That's No, that's the thing. I don't. See, Travis, this is where I differ. I thought that he was just fucking around. When the first time I saw this film, I thought he was fucking around. I was younger, too. And I'm like, this is so absurd. He's just fucking taking this thing way out to the fucking extreme edge of the earth. And but is that now, doubt that the character's telling the truth? If, if you no, think about it, it it's actually Labute that's that's taking this to the far side of the earth. He's challenging us with this little speech of his by Jason Patrick. Probably not even for us to wonder what the characters will think about it or how he feels about himself, but how we feel as the viewer watching it because this is a daring, challenging filmmaker who's pushing buttons that people in the 90s just weren't. I mean, it was yeah, after Woody Allen was doing yeah. his thing. I'd consider like, that maybe he was the kid who got raped, though, because people change so much from high school to who they become when they're older. And I could I actually consider that notion like, wow, what if it was him and he's retelling this tale from this sick, twisted fantasy? Because this guy's a mess. I mean, this we have no idea what's going on in this guy's head. You may think you we may think we have him pegged, but we really don't. And I think that's part of what the director's doing no. as well, Eric. I do. I mean, we know that he's really concerned about 380 thread count. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that much we do know. Yes, that is that. A, uh, that's a big issue for him. Yeah, I got to say. Part... Oh, go ahead, Eric. Go, go ahead. You, you first. I'm going on a bit of a tangent, a humorous okay. one, but a tangent nonetheless. Okay. I was just going to say that, um, you know, as far as like what maybe was he telling the truth? Was he maybe not like that seems like kind of a cop out to try and cope with what's happening to me. Like there's no reason not to take the character at face value in there. He, I mean, he even goes like Eckhart says to him, like, you're joking. He even goes out of his way to be like, no, like deadpan, like, like I'm very fucking serious right now. Um, so to me, it's like, you know, yeah, that's pretty cut and dry. But he would do that too. It's like I don't know. It's that's what's that's why this is fun. We take a look at this from different views, and you never fucking know what the unless we go inside Neil Abu's fucking head and make dude tell us the fucking truth right now. What is the real story here? We don't. It's have a weird dynamic. Who who the fuck would hang out with Jason Patrick? They don't seem like they grow yeah. up together because they don't know this story, or else he'd be They're like, hey, remember, remember Timmy Johnson? I fucked him. Oh, are they college yeah. buddies? Yeah, they're like, college. Even, well, he, like, I just it didn't really make sense because they're so unlike him, and like he treats them like shit, makes fun of their lives constantly. Like Ben Stiller's really the hanger around, isn't he? Like friends. Ben, it looks like uh, Eckhart's the linchpin, like of the three of them. It seems like that's how I took it, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least two of them are college yeah, buddies, and then because he's always like, "Oh, this fucking guy." Because there's a big tense 
always a tense uh, wall set up between Stiller and Patrick. But uh, go ahead, Eric. You had a tangent you wanted to go on. Remember when I told you that story about I, I hung up all of my Halloween decorations and then the sweet Christian family across the street was scared of them and had to close their blinds? Mm-hmm. Well, the first like <laughs> I was laughing to myself because I've got this giant screen. And like if you look in my window, it's all you can see. So for like the first like half hour, I'm imagining this family across the street seeing Jason Patrick jack off, Aaron yeah. Eckhart masturbating, uh, what Ben Stiller and Catherine Keener like going at it like animals. And you know, I'm expecting to go out there like the next day and have the guy be like, "Hey, listen, I'm going to need you to stop watching this horrible porn inside your house <laughs> while across the street." But yeah, it's 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 really sincere, and I can't think of a lot of like erotic comedies that that go this far. I mean, it reminds me a lot of what Kevin Smith was doing to a more sophomoric point in the 90s but this is American a, Pie. A, yeah maybe american yeah, pie yeah, and a couple no, of things but no like wait this is that's this is way more heady than american pie. I was it, it, is this even a comedy i mean thing. will we label this a comedy i wouldn't call oh, it. oh it's a movie. fucking black comedy for sure i would yeah that's how i, 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 I mean, maybe, okay i'm gonna call it more of a drama myself but i, I maybe because i didn't laugh much at it but. I didn't Ooh. like Catherine Keener's character. I just kind of wanted to like. She, I hope she, I hope she's a very sweet and nice woman. And <laughs> because like I am just, I feel bad at this point of watching her just have to play the same fucking sh- like horrible person over and over and over again. And, and in some ways, in some ways, I don't know how horrible she is in this movie. Like in some, like she says, like I'm just telling you how I feel, and like how she feel, like it sucks. But like, um, she like it, like I think that some of the things that you were saying about Patrick, I would apply to her character that she's just kind of being true to herself, even though it's like uh, really harsh to others. Um, I, I quoted her at one point, case, right? <laughs> she says at one point with that goddamn smirk on her face that relationships and caring are a sickness, and yeah, love is a disease. That says a lot about somebody. There you go. Yeah. Love is a disease. Yeah, I wrote that one down too, and went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cynical. But what's with this painting scene? So this has to like okay. unite everyone so everybody can share. Is it is this purpose to like kind of balance out the movie and be like, hey, here's the same setting, same painting. Same oh, it's symbolism. It's, 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 perspective. It's, it's actually really good symbolism because from my perspective, the painting you see during those bourgeois inner Sandman credits is that painting and it literally is them that they're looking at during the movie. I never even thought of that. They're looking at a painting <laughs> yeah. of themselves and not yeah. realizing that it's them interacting in an abstract way. And yet they cannot see their own like interconnectivity because they have no concept of other people. They're so fucking selfish. And they have to literally ask, oh, is this part of a collection? Meaning, are we a collective group of people that are supposed to somehow like be interpersonal in these relationships? They don't fucking know. They don't care. That's great, wow. Eric. Yeah, very, very. I think you're dead on. I've always wondered what the painting was, but you're right. I think he shows us right in the beginning of the movie. That's brilliant. Um, That's great. Yeah. How close does Natasha Kinski have to stand to these people? Is that just like part of her job? <sighs> Definitely. Make sure, make sure you stand on their forehead when you ask them if they if they if it's their first time here. <laughs> just stand directly <laughs> on. Where their else can I see this beautiful woman and great actress uh, Natasha Kinski? I, I I don't I know the no. name, but like, what else is she in? The the well, loins. She's not of Natasha the Henshrin, I know that. Yeah, yeah you, you can see her. 
You can see her in uh, her father's face in Nosferatu. <laughs> I don't want to see Klaus Kinski, but uh, I really like her. Uh, yeah, she was in Terminal Velocity with Charlie Sheen. That was a <laughs> Oh, I like that movie. Or Paris, Texas with Harry Dean Stanton. Okay. Yeah, I don't oh, know. she in that? Yeah, but she was a child. That was 1984, yeah, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Young, so. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that that scene, I was trying to make the the connection of what is this scene? What's he trying to do here beyond symbolism or anything? But I thought he was trying to put everybody on even ground to kind of expose who they were. And because you have the same woman and the same supposed art. But now that you gave this great possibility that they're looking at themselves, that makes a ton of sense. And it really kind of makes it a lot more simple for me to understand. Yeah, it, it makes I think that there's a that because what I noticed about it all and that your observation makes me see um, is that I think that um, it makes like um, the, the fact that Eckhart and Stiller are the only ones who um, notice that the, the painting is askew. They're like they're like it's off. Like it's it's there's something crooked about this, and and no, and no one else notices. And they're the ones who really. I mean, like Catherine Keener and Amy Brenneman's lives get get overturned too, but they're a little bit more active in it. Even though Catherine Keener gets cheated on, like she clearly wants out of the relationship and is looking for a different love elsewhere. Um, I feel like it m- more so it's Stiller and Eckhart, especially Eckhart, who li- whose life gets upended. Yeah. Uh boy, uh we're talking about your friends and neighbors from 1998 here as we're starting to get to the point of closure where we make a final determination of whether they're not this film holds up. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? Any pieces of notes? I mean, we've covered the characters. It's not it's not a film that has a lot of different directions necessarily. Um, Have you ever punted a fetus? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something I can't relate to. Um I think it is a black comedy even though Travis didn't laugh much. It was in. I, I label a movie based on its intention. I think it was intended to be a black comedy, but it does get less funny as the years have gone on. I will say that it wasn't <laughs> as funny as uh, when I was twenty years old. It wasn't as funny then, you know. Now for me, as it was back in the day. So, um, anything else? Anybody? Well, I. I mean. Labute's an interesting filmmaker that doesn't get a lot of talk these days. He's still huge in the New York stage scene because I think that's what he turned to primarily. But back then, this Wait, was a uh, this was a really interesting dude. Well, he's a former inner Indiana school teacher, and as a current Indiana school teacher, I tip my head off to him because he came out of that as a, a really fucking talented dude who deserves the acclaim he got. Like yeah. I said, I I detested in the company of men, but I came to enjoy this one, and I. I really don't see the the praise for that. That was just the most ugly, disgusting film in a bad way for me. Whereas this, I could step back and see it through through a window uh, at these characters and kind of just chuckle. But there was a huge difference in just those two films in one year. I also find it really interesting that Labute um, and Eckhart met each other at Brigham Young University yeah, back yeah. when they both <laughs> used to be Mormon. Yep, yep, yep. You um, fucking kidding me? Yeah, it's pretty Good wild. Uh, yeah, eventually they asked him, like they disfellowshipped him, and um, he wasn't. He wasn't welcome to, to make fun of Yikes. Mormons anymore. But yeah, their um, athletes aren't allowed to have sex, so I don't think this movie would fly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've said the stuff I need to. He say. D- he directs in a weird way. Did you notice that, like he, in in a, almost all of the scenes, he would blur the background. So even something that's right behind them, you couldn't really see, and you're focusing more on the characters. 
uh, it, it really gave you that kind of stage play feel. And I'd oh, never yeah. really seen that done before. I thought that was kind of a cool touch. I mean, yeah, even, I think they were even, trying to make it just any like place, right? Or like, because it doesn't say the city, right? It doesn't, well, but clearly it's New York. And there right. is like, if your job is like an art dealer, you're not in bumfuck Missouri. So. Well, but, um, Chicago or something. I don't know. I also find it really fascinating that, like, the, you know, they, he reuses all the same sets, all the locations. Like the, the the grocery store gets used twice, the bookstore gets used twice, the, the museum that uh, that that uh, Stiller and Brennan meet at gets used twice. Like everything, so it adds to that kind of stage play feel that everything's pretty localized in these only few locations. Huh. Interesting. Also says there's a lot of unbroken takes that they use. I think that's interesting. That's fun. Didn't even really notice that, but um, you know, he he's definitely he's clearly an actor's director, right? Like he's not trying to do a bunch of flashy stuff. His focus is on the story, on these human interactions, and and so it, you know that's what the kind of guy he is. How yeah. we end up doing Wicker Man and shit like this is beyond me. I, but clearly, he just wants some, you know the occasional paycheck and gets tossed a movie to direct or something. Is my assumption. <laughs> Yeah, and there's like there's no music in this film that I can think of. I can't. I mean, obviously you yes. mentioned the Enter Sandman intro, but there's no. I love that because you could take this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like you could take this same screenplay and drown it with some bullshit score that tries to like persuade you one way or another or wink at you. There's none of that. He just lays it out there for you to make an opinion. I love I, that. I did not even notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. But I just didn't even notice. That's that's funny. Wow, that's fucking weird. That's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, it's a different type of movie. It's an actor's director, like you said. So this is your friends and neighbors. Let's come to a conclusion. Let's cut the shit. Eric Branson, let's lead it off. Well, writer director Neil Labute. Uh, it's a he, he gives us a blatant, unapologetic glimpse at sexual sparring and sexual combat, like our friend uh, Peter Travers said. Uh, of these squabbling 30-somethings, and he does it in a different way. He doesn't do it like Kevin Smith does it with all these kids complaining about sex and trying to talk adult and stuff. It's a very adult movie. It's a Or Woody Allen, even. You know, or or Woody even Allen Woody Allen, Allen who, who, who does this in, in, with softballs thrown our way. This is a daring director. It's not interested in entertainment as uh, escapism. Uh, he's forcing us to, to uh, make a connection with this one way or another, and I respect the hell of it. Did I like sitting there watching it? No. There was a point I looked at my, my the, the counter and it was 24 minutes in and I thought to myself, Christ, like, <laughs> I'm not enjoying myself, but I respect the hell out of what this guy's doing. So for me, uh, it definitely holds up. So, uh, yeah, I'm, it was a good pick for me. Dripping with nihilism, like I said, and uh, not exactly shock value type dialogue, but not untruthful either. He says... You point a camera at yourself, your friends, or your neighbors, and you're going to see strange shit that might that might even be unbelievable. But this happens. Well said, bud. Yeah, that's you're on a roll today, man. You're nailing the analysis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With the <laughs> uh, let's go to you, Travis, this week, and I'll close it out. Well, you know, um, like I said, I enjoyed this back in the day. Um, Eric, I need you to mute yourself, buddy. I cannot sit here and listen to myself while I talk. Thank you. I enjoyed this back in the day, um, but uh, I I'm really glad that you re that you p 
chose this because I, I don't know that I would have revisited it, revisited it anytime soon. It's been on my radar for a while to, to rewatch um, in the company of men, but I honestly uh, wouldn't even have necessarily thought of this. I've also been thinking a fair warning about for some time on my list has been um, the shape of things is one of his follow-ups to this movie. So don't watch that anytime soon. Cause I probably will still choose that, um, which is an even more obscure movie than this one. So go figure, but it's got Paul Rudd in it. So go figure. But, um, yeah, I uh, this is you know a very dark, uh, sardonic look at the collapse, the dissipation of a small group of friends, um, the struggles of like uh, of, of of young adults, you know, kind of like dealing with the middle of their lives for the first time when their expectations are really getting like the you know the 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 wind knocked out of them, and they're um, for the first time like uh, probably. Ah, fucking up their lives in a, in, a, in a way that it really matters instead of just fucking up a night. Um, so uh, I, yeah, I agree. This movie holds up. I, I, I don't know that I'd strongly recommend it. You got to go watch this movie because it is kind, it is kind of a bit of a rough watch, especially like you know you heard us talking about the rape stuff. So there's some major trigger warnings, I think. Um, but this is a, it, it grapples with the issue of sexuality and um, and sex itself and how. How it can, um, yeah. How it can conquer. How we can conquer our friends and neighbors with it. Can you continue with Eric's thing? But how we can conquer ourselves in ways and and and, and destroy um, you know, the fragile little ecosystems that we spend years constructing. Uh, and if we're lucky, if we're really lucky, we could get forgiveness for that. Um, I don't know that these people get that, but um, yeah, this 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 movie holds up. Hmm. Okay, wow. I wasn't expecting a two for two. So it, it's, not as, it's, not, <laughs> it's not as funny as it used to be. And that's what disappoints me. I used I got so much I remember uproariously laughing to this film. That no longer happened. So does that mean it doesn't hold up for me anymore? I don't know. I do know that the sexual dysfunction and the chaos of relationships. Maybe this is a little too neat in terms of like almost everybody seems to be switching around. I mean, it, it does. It can and does happen. Like but, the family stone. But... <laughs> you know, uh, the family stone, man. Shit. Uh, what can I say? Um, that movie was weird, but who? who, who... <laughs> Oh, now you just fucked me up. Okay. Um, Sorry. I'm just a little joke. No, it's funny. It's funny. Who was who were the two characters that or who were the two the actor that was in both Home for the Holidays and Family Stone? Uh, there was Claire one Danes, that, right? Claire yes. Danes. Yeah. So Claire Danes was the connection in that. That was fun for me. But this is not the Family Stone. This is your <laughs> no, friends and neighbors. Uh, I didn't know I was gonna throw you such a curveball there. I'm sorry. Continue. The Family Stone had me thinking for a lot longer than I really should have thought about it, which is very strange. So, it, but we'll leave that there. It is the Christmas season, and technically, Family Stone is a Christmas movie. So, check that out if you want. But there's chaos in so many circles of friendships, and and these new circles that develop when people get married. These uh, marriage circles, I guess you'll even call them now, where you know people get together because they're married, really, and they hang out because they're twosomes. You know, just like single people would hang out in a pack of singles. And this movie does a, a pretty good job of kind of expressing the weird shit at the 
just under the surface, kind of like you guys were talking about. Weird stuff does happen when you start to get into different groups and you don't know these people, and you could be very surprised to discover some things that on the surface look like people who are religious or, uh, you know, appropriate people, but they're doing fucking bizarro shit in their diaries and even acting it out in their bedroom. So, yeah, I think this movie holds up. Uh, it's a little... It might be a little dated because it does feel 90s to me more than Demolition did, man did, oddly enough, Travis, which is interesting. But Not to me, yeah. but... I know. I mean, to me, that's how I felt. So It holds up, but it's it's not holding up the way it used to, which to me is lessening. And I'd like to find out another 10 years if I like this movie at all anymore. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, one, one thing I didn't really get to say was the fact that, like, I said many times it's it's unique for a lot of these different reasons, but one of the big ones I kind of forgot to say is you have a lot of these relationship movies that are all about people that are trying to get together because they need things. But we forget a lot of the times that once we are together, we still need things and those needs can surprise us and scare us and put us in weird places. And this movie in particular does a good job of throwing all that stuff on the table and dealing with it in an honest way. Yep. Yeah. Great point, Eric. Eric Branstrom with top-notch analysis today. And that is it. That's your friends and neighbors. That is the episode number 35 of the Cinema 9 podcast, which you can find on all standard issue podcast platforms and social media factions. Check us out. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd love that. It really would mean, you know, it'd make the holidays. You don't have to buy us anything. Just give us a five-star rating. Ho, ho, ho. Season's greetings. Uh, next week is Listener's Choice. It's back. So get yeah. your picks in. We're going to do what we always do. We'll give you till Monday night, and then we'll go on live at 9 p.m. like we do. Yeah. Barring some type of scheduling. 9, 9 p.m. On, on Instagram, right? Not Facebook. Are we going to continue with the Instagram? We seem to get. Yeah, we could. Yeah. More interaction. We could do whatever you want. So, what do you prefer? We could do whatever you like. Uh, yeah. Like, well, we, I think, could I think that... we could jump on like this so all three of us can be there. And instead that'd of doing be, that'd the... be cool too. Yeah. So that'd be cool why don't we too. just. We could just do. I'm that. down. That would be fun. Yeah. All right. So let's. So we'll do it here. Yeah. We'll just. We'll do it Whenever live. You're watching this, it'll go to all of our feeds YouTube. Facebook not Live, Instagram. not Instagram. Yeah, so it's not going to be an Instagram, though. We do respect Instagram. You can find a lot of great breakdowns of movies from our dear friend <laughs> Travis Roy and Eric Branstrom. They're bringing you top-notch reviews, and they're letting you know what movie came out on what day. Uh, I just uh, <laughs> Someone did a Schindler's List post. That was cool. Thanks, That was guys. me. They're all me. Oh, they're all yeah, you. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been slipping. Good. And Christ, oh. Julianne Moore's 60 years old today. She still looks damn good. Well, she is old. Well, not that the, you know, sixty-year-old women can't look good, but in particular, she <laughs> looks very, still very nice for sixty years old. Happy hilarious. birthday! You're fucked, dude. You're I'm canceled. I'm canceled. I'm canceled. I can't get out of this. Oh, kudos to Travis for doing those. Thank you, Travis, for your Instagram efforts. You're really putting in the time. You're putting in the hours, man. It's going to pay off. All right, that's it. Sim and I podcast. We're done. Thanks for listening. Next <laughs> week will be listener's choice, and we'll find out what that is when it comes about. And then we'll go back to a rotation of the three of us, and we will have a guest on on January 7th. We can preview that now. Brian Madison, respected film critic, film analyst in his own right, will be on the show after New Year's on January 7th. So that's it. I'm Michael Govier. We are done. Adios. Shakespeare is a gift. Adios.